All right, everybody. So uh, welcome to Dojo Universe for this week. We're going to get started with uh, actually a little video here, but you can also just enjoy the audio. Uh, it's a, uh, a performance of Shots and Diecat in Orlando. I'm not quite sure what the year was. Um, uh, 2008, Mike says. So uh, we're going to have a, a listen to this, and uh, we'll get on with some more content for today. So enjoy. Well, um, that was pretty cool. I mean, uh, I don't know. Uh, Vin's not here today, so um, uh, but uh, so I'm kind of on our own. But we do have a, a special guest with us here today. I'm going to turn on the camera. Everybody out there hearing me okay, by the way? Just double checking. Anybody? 
There we go. Looking good. All right. Well, you'll notice that we have a special guest with us here today, Donald Lindsay, and uh, get the camera over there on him a little bit. And uh, one of the main things I wanted to talk about today, and I, I think that we're gonna uh, we're gonna have no problem filling up lots of time talking about this stuff. But uh, you recently wrote an article for The Voice magazine. I just read through it, and uh, I, I know a lot of these guys personally, so none of this came as a big surprise to me. But um, yeah, so you did some interviews and kind of what was the deal? I know it's a, a project you're pretty passionate about there over the summer. Well, yeah. Um, piping environment that we live in now is very different from the piping environment of several decades ago. And uh, so part of my interest in interviewing these players was they're coming from what I would term pretty high-function piping environments. That would be, of course, Scotland, Ireland, and British Columbia. And uh, so I thought it would be a good thing to get some of their ideas on what has enabled them to become so successful as a culture of pipers and drummers. And uh, that's kind of a, was the basis. I thought, let's get some of their ideas. Because uh, what worked here 30 years ago no longer works. Basically, the format we have for the development of pipers here is failing. Uh, and I say that because I can just name on part of one hand the people that have risen to the top in the piping world. We've got Mike Cusack, the late, beloved Alistair Lewis, who is no longer here but contributed so much. And uh, that's about it, actually. Yeah, you cite Murray Henderson here too. Of course, Murray uh, Henderson is the other one. That's right. The interesting, Murray lived here. And Murray, uh, you know, Murray lived here for a while, and he studied with with uh, Jimmy McIntosh. He, I think, he started in New Zealand with uh, some of the Boyle family. Yeah. And, uh, but his primary teacher while he was here and coach was Jim Jim McIntosh, and the two of them were a great combination because Jim had great knowledge and Murray had some ability to put those ideas across. Yeah, uh, definitely. And but I guess so. You could say, and I don't know a whole lot about Mike Cusack's background, but you could. I mean, you could. Alistair was here, but he had most of his, uh, or or much of his success was attained before he moved here. That's true. Absolutely. Uh, and then uh, Mike Mike uh, had tuition uh, from various people, but one of those was the late uh, Donald Ramsey, who was Flight Major Edinburgh Police, uh, because of the connection between. Scotland and Texas over the oil connection. Oh, wow, you're kidding. He, that sort of facilitated Donald Ramsey's ability to come to Texas and teach. And then later, uh, Mike did a lot of study with John McFadden, who was also a major coach for Bill Livingston, Jim McGilvery, and Ed Nye. Wow. All those fellas. And I studied with John, too, for a number of years. John, in a very interesting way, would inspire all of us to really take this to heart, to make a commitment to piping, to become passionate about it. That came from John. And uh, then later, Mike had very extended study again with James McIntosh. So these guys uh, are men who came over here and really started to build a desire among some of the players. 
And the ones I mentioned are the ones who went have gone forward in our part of the world. Now, Jack Lee is another icon on the West Coast. And that came from Don McMillan. Or, uh, is Jim McMillan? J James McMillan, yeah, I'm James, sorry. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, I meant James McMillan. But yeah. And um, he and Terry, I think to this day, would quickly say that a lot of their passion, commitment, inspiration was generated by James McMillan. Here's, here's one thing that I want to ask you about, and, uh, you know, we'll go into your article for sure, but, okay, one, one of the things that I'm thinking here is uh, th those who have been extremely successful, and Mike Cusack comes to mind, um, and I know, uh, and Murray Henderson too, they're connected with uh, Jimmy McIntosh, who, and what I'm going to say is, I think Jimmy uh, has been extremely successful when it comes to um, uh, building his own small community around what he knows. And, and then now there are people around him. He's got the Belmore schools and stuff like that. And, and there's a, a real culture and a thing going on there that's allowing people to be successful. And I would say you've done the same with Invermark. And, and you, I mean, I attribute uh, much, if not most of my success to Invermark, which is something that you've put together. Um, but in, where I'm going with this is, I think there are places in the world where um, rather than there being these small pockets of uh, su you know, successful bagpiping activities, there are areas in the world where uh, the pockets are getting together with other pockets mm -hmm. to, f to form even bigger pockets. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, uh, obviously, um, yeah, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and uh, I spent um, seven years in British Columbia, uh, and that's another one. There's just so much, there's so many, at this point, uh, at, at maybe, it sounds like maybe when, you know, it wasn't always the case, although in reading the article, it, ha it is a long-standing thing. It's been going on for, what, over 100 years or something. Probably. Um, and, and now there are pockets working with other pockets and, and creating a flourishing community. Um, and I think maybe what you're arguing here, uh, as you write in The Voice, is I don't think we've reached that yet in the USPDA. No. Not really. I mean, maybe there's glimpses of it here yes. and there. Yes. But we haven't really figured out how to coordinate uh, all the efforts. I agree with that. And I don't think... I think that's very representative. Yeah. And, and I also don't think that all the pockets agree. I know in British Columbia, for sure, there are, there are definitely these different pockets, just for lack of a better word, but different pockets of things going on, and they're all working together. They're, you know, they... They have a government that they use to, you know, sort of govern the association, and different people are playing different roles from time to time. Um, and I know for a fact that most of the pockets have areas where they strongly disagree with each other, but um, there's still a harmony there that's going on that's allowing people to uh, achieve really big things. Yes. So I guess um, in, as far as my take on the USPDA is, I think we see glimpses of that. Yes. I, I think we're I think we're divided by divided pretty heavily by I don't know what the word would be. I but, think, but the pockets don't mingle well, do they? I, uh, I think it's stronger than being divided. I think it's absent. What I'm talking about is absent, and it's probably the essential building block that needs to be put in place next. It, it,
let me begin by saying that E is a task, and the task is to get people interested in Python. And drumming, and trying to set some goals for the membership, and to, and to be inclusive, not to be exclusive. They've been great in that department. I believe at the present time that uh, the resources of the USPBA are doing what they're supposed to do, and they've hit the wall. I think they can keep getting better at what they already do. But just as in Scotland. The RSPBA is doing its level best to create an environment for pipe bands, be it however your point of view is, whether it's perfect or imperfect, they're doing it. And somehow came the CPA came on the scene. And no more would the CPA tell the RSPBA how to run a band contest than the RSPBA would tell the CPA how to run a solo contest because they're specialized activities. Yeah. So here, we're blessed that we have a large organization that puts its efforts forward to the best of its ability to organize and run band contests and does a phenomenal job at setting up a progressive environment for amateur pipers and drummers to develop and improve. They do not only structure of competitions and structure of membership, records, but they also do educational efforts. Now, um, let me just, can I pause you? I just oh, yeah. want to uh, turn up our microphone just a little. People, okay. are, people are saying it's a little uh, soft, so let me just. Hi, guys. Is, is that better out there, that level? Hopefully a little bit louder now. Okay, good. Okay. And then Donald, just uh, make sure you speak up so they can oh. hear you. But otherwise, yes. I think we're fine now. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so here's for me, what's behind a lot of this is what essentially has to happen for us to really cultivate the highest level. And there's different ways of looking at this, you could be negative, and you could say, well, we have some people who make it to the professional grade. And then Oftentimes, they withdraw from involvement, so we don't see much of them after they make the professional grade. Uh, we could also say that um, we see a lot of top-level, uh, in our association, top-level pipers and drummers who play a few times a year, and compared to the top standard at the highest levels, they're not really playing on that level. In the words of one of my friends in a recent conversation, the one who gets through with the least errors wins, meaning implying that these are not stunning performances, they're fairly good performances. So that's where we seem to be at as in, in terms of the representation of our professional pipers and drummers. So on the world scene, I'm not sure that we're taken all that seriously with the exception of the people we mentioned earlier, Mike Cusack, Murray Henderson, the late Alistair Gillis being examples of top-notch people. It's good to see a few, it's good to see a few names uh, from 
uh, our area, right? Oh, uh, absolutely. Like uh, Derek Midgley comes to mind. Oh, yes. Just got a huge prize. And uh, Ben McClamrock is in there. Ursa Beckford taking prizes. Um, I, I myself took a few prizes yes. in, in the silver medal. Yes. Um, but what do they all have in common, though, really, is they've all they've all gone um, significantly outside of our community. That's correct. In order to achieve... In order to achieve that, like uh, Derek's been heavily involved in Scotland. That is correct. Um, and I'm, uh, I know Ben is, I don't know exactly, but I know he's been abroad, right? He's been. When, um, when Ben wants to get into the thick of it, he goes to Scotland to get into the thick of it. Yeah. Yes, he goes to our own Highland Games to participate. But to get, that's like not the deep end of the swimming pool. Uh, <laughs> Oban and Inverness are the deep end. Yeah. Uh, and, and so if it weren't for the events in the USP, USPVA for people like Ben, he probably wouldn't do as well as he's done when he goes into yeah. the deep end of the pool. No, yeah, it's not to discount anything that's no, going on. No. And I think it's a great thing when people go outside and, and do stuff, for sure. Um, and, and I know that's happening in, in, the, other, in the other organizations that, are, that we're citing as being successful. It's still happening, but... Um, but yeah, the big thing there is is the reach out, right? That that to be successful right now, you really do have to yes. reach out. And I guess that leads me to the next thing I want to ask you about. One of the things, um, so Donald, you interviewed many people here. Yep. Uh, the first one in the article is Jack. And I think the biggest thing for me, uh, Jack, if other members, or sorry, if members of other piping communities Wish oh, to further piping in their own areas. I know what you're going to say. This is one of the best parts yeah. of all the interviews. What do you feel? What do you feel is important for them to do? And I thought Jack's response is so, um, so dead center bullseye oh. for for where we are. So uh, I don't know. Do you want to talk about that? No, you read the. Go ahead. I'll read. read I'll the read quote. what. I'll try to. Uh, that was one of the best quotes of all the. Yeah. We did 16 interviews. We've got more to publish, but that was one of the best quotes of them all. I agree completely. So Jack says, I think um, that they have to become students first, and not think that they have all the answers. I think that if they want to further the standard, then they should get instruction from people and bands and others that have done it. I would just expedite the process there. It, it sure did for us. Or sorry, yes, it would just expedite the process. You know, we in BC don't look at each other for instruction and inspiration. We look at the world. Definitely far-reaching there. So I would encourage people to ask questions and bring players in for workshops and lessons to bring the standard up in your area. And uh, I, I thought that was, if, if anything... I kind of like I could close the magazine there and sort of have stuff to think about there for a week. But um, isn't it? I mean, and, and it's not um, I think maybe in the past uh, I've been guilty of slagging on the EOSPBA a little bit here and there. I don't think I don't think I'm doing that here. But I will say that uh, we have a really bad habit of doing that. Yes. As an org, as a as an organization. Yes. Um, okay. Well, uh, we need to certify our players, so we're going to have someone from within the USPBA create a certification program. Uh, that's exactly not what Jack is talking yep. about here. Um, you know, we have our own judges certify our own judges, uh, which I think is a. I've always I've voiced many times. I think that's a problem, um, and uh, so we, we're definitely. We're definitely taking on some of the symptoms Jack is suggesting. Maybe aren't aren't the greatest for. Uh, you know, uh, for for developing, and uh, he's totally right. He talks more about it. Um, <clears throat> this year, I, I I went to compete at the BC Indoor, 
Um, and sure enough, yeah, they, they brought Glenn Brown and Jack Taylor in to be the judges. And that's a tradition for them to do that, um, which is really cool. And there's a little bit of that that goes on here, but, um, but he's totally right. It's a totally different outlook that they have there compared to us. Absolutely. And so this ties in with the notion of how a lot of this began in the Eastern United States. Uh, without a doubt, there was a big thrill for a person to be able to put on a uniform, pick up a set of bagpipes or pick up a drum and march in a parade. And that was a thrill. Oh, sorry, I gotta make sure I speak up a little. So that was certainly a thrill <clears throat> a number of years ago. Can we get this both on the camera? Uh, it's possible. We'd probably have to move it back a little. There we go. Okay, good. And uh, I'll scooch in. So that that's that's a wonderful thing. Uh, it was wonderful many years ago, and still wonderful today. Uh, but then eventually, some people began to look for more. They wanted to do more. They wanted to become really proficient at piping and drumming. And without going into all the details, that has brought us up to the current time. We now have quite a few people who really want to become excellent pipers and drummers. So naturally, we've uh, accessed, whenever possible, the best instructors we could find uh, to learn as much as we could learn. Um, one of the things, so where I'm going with this is that where piping and drumming is headed in the future is down the same road as any high-skilled activity, be that professional sports, professional music, professional dance, professional theater, professional uh, uh, visual arts. All of those things require um, dedication, true dedication, and all of those things require a, a, a kind of a, an environment, whether it's created by the artist or musician all alone, which to some extent, some extent, uh, Simon Fraser University Pipe Band has done. For many years, they have, they have raised the standard high and, and worked hard to reach the standard even though they weren't necessarily playing against the same bands that they play against in the worlds. So they arrived at the worlds with a, an environment, a coming from an environment they had created for themselves. And so we're in a kind of a similar situation because um, going to the games, Highland Games on the East Coast from time to time is great, but let's, let's think about this for a minute. We're sometimes playing our marches, trespass, and reels in an open field with a lot of sound going on around, with some pipe bands getting ready for the mass bands, um, and sometimes uh, pretty rugged heat conditions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, that's different from the former winners' marches, Bay and reel at Inverness when people walk out onto the stage in the Eden Court Theater and uh, all, talk, all talking naturally stops when someone blows up the pipe and everyone hangs on every note. That's a real different environment. So here's where I'm going with that one. To be in touch with the current time, the 21st century, and piping the way it's going in the United States, we need 
to have more regular occasions for pipers to play. And the God bless the events that take on all the amateur events, all the drumming events, etc., etc. That's a massive undertaking, and the people who who put that together deserve a huge amount of credit for the effort they put into that. But if I focus just for a moment on the needs of the professionals, they need to play somewhat regularly in the off season so they can keep their standard up. And something that comes out of these interviews from these great folks that I got a chance to talk to is they need to play against upper level players and they need to play with some frequency. And furthermore, they made it plain to me in the interviews that it's not so much the money prizes, although that's nice to get a money prize. It's not so much the money prizes that motivate them. It's the fact that they're going to play in front of someone who understands what they're doing. This is where the rubber hits the road. Some people have said the standard of of piping or drumming can only be as good as the, as the knowledge and skill of the judge who's listening to the performer. When someone plays in front of someone who doesn't understand the nuances of piping and drumming, the standard is automatically lowered to the lowest common denominator. So where I'm going in my responses to your questions, Andrew, are this is now with the 21st century, we need a new paradigm for what is going to be involved in becoming a top professional. Your comment a moment ago from Jack's interview about essentially accessing wisdom outside our own small circle is key. Another element that's very important is that the competitions be judged by people who have knowledge and can offer insight and, and constructive uh, comments to the players. Another thing that's needed that we've lost because the interest has exploded so much, there's so many people involved, it was quite normal and natural for there to be groups of pipers and drummers that enjoyed to get together and travel together. They would car share, they'd ride share to get to the games. And it used to be possible for developing players to sit down and listen to the more advanced players and learn from the experience. That's almost impossible now. The games are so active, so big, there's so many things that each person has to do who's a participant that it's almost impossible to listen to anyone else. So that's a major part of education that's been lopped off the picture. I think too, especially you know, when we're talking about professional players, uh, I'm a professional player. Yep. Uh, when I was in British Columbia, I was very active. Uh, since I have returned, I've become increasingly less active as a soloist. Um, a lot of it has to do with motivation to, yes, to do it. Absolutely. And all the things you're mentioning here. So how do you get there? Right. Number are, one, how do you get there? Hit the nail on well, the head. And, and then like, you know, uh, how do you get there? And then if you even if you can get there, what makes it worth your time to be there? Yep. And there are several things that uh, that are difficult. And again, uh, this could be a, a whiny list 
if you look at it one way. But for well, me, that's, we got the choice. We can be negative yes, or positive. Yes, we can be positive. negative. We can be positive. But you know, one, here's one of the. I'll start with some of the more trivial things yep. first. Uh, how do you get there? Uh, how do you get there by seven in the morning? Right. Uh, that's a big problem. And then, and then, uh, uh, and then, how do you tune your pipes up? When it's still 45 degrees because it's 8:15 and you're and you're being asked to play a professional level P rock at 8:15 in the morning, uh, how do you do that? Well, uh, that's what that those are some of the challenges. Um, and then uh, for me and and I, I know a lot of people in the EUSPBA are in the exact same boat. How do I balance playing at uh, at the top of my game uh, in a professional contest and then magically get my band organized? Uh, and uh, I have a grade one band that I, uh, I'm the pipe major of the Oren Moore pipe band. Uh, there's a lot that goes into making that a successful day for the band. Um, and then uh, I also tune up the Scotia Glenville pipe band uh, most of the time. And then there are uh, at least, at least half of the band is involved in tuning up their own bands. Uh, how, do, how do we balance all of this? Oh, boy. Uh, and, some, and then many of us are judges uh, in the band uh, and then some people are doing, uh, well, for a while, Eric McNeil was doing the drum major stuff, you know, and uh, how do you put it all together? And then at the end of the day, is it worth all of that? Is it worth it all? And then uh, at the end of the day, the answer lately for me has been, uh, maybe I'll just skip the solos and focus on the other stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then generally when there's a solo contest where I can just go play solos, um, then, uh, you know, that's a, that's something that I look forward to doing. So we had those knockouts a while ago. Um, and, uh, some years at Loon Mountain, I've gone up and played, um, and those are good, but the other ones that try to cram it all in, uh, I don't know. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of people are in the same boat as me. Oh yeah. Like, I, I know I've spoken with Maureen Connor about this many times, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, Maureen, let's, you know. We should play solos. Let's just get our pipes out and play. Oh, that's ridiculous. Can't happen. Too much going on. Um, and here's the other question. I'm not currently on the panel, but uh, when I was, how do you decide as a professional soloist, how do you decide whether or not you should judge, which, by the way, is guaranteed bucks, or play solos, which is not Ooh. guaranteed bucks? <laughs> <laughs> what I'm loving about this session uh, right now that we're having, Andrew, is uh, – the lid is off the can of worms, and the worms are out. <laughs> <laughs> you got to let the worms breathe. By the way, it looks like we have a lot of questions. Wow. Well, um, um, when we come back to chatting, when we get back to the worms, I want to I want to sketch a proposed idea for how those issues that you raise can be addressed. But let's go to some questions. All right. Uh, I don't have my reading glasses, so you yeah, I'll read, read them out. Okay. Yeah, Patrick says. Uh, does this mean that uh, we have to bring in judges from Scotland so our professionals have the highest level of adjudicators? That's going back a few minutes ago when you were talking okay. about. So in response to that, I would say when we are able to, uh, there's a, there are certain judges in Scotland that are outstanding judges. And I'll just be blunt and say one of them is John Wilson. I don't think I know any pipers that don't have the highest regard for his solo band judging. Light music, P-Rock. There is someone. 
Oh, there's one person? There's one person. Okay, well, that's good then. I mean, as long as we've got a majority, <laughs> I don't want to know who that person is. I think you know. Well, but, okay. It has but, to do with John requiring a, a P-Brock book in order to judge a contest. Oh, that's a tenor drummer. That doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> that is a tenor drummer. Sorry, but, everyone. Um, brutal inside joke. That that's very funny. But it doesn't count on the piping response. And I feel sorry for that tenor drummer having those bad feelings about him. But what I want to say is, whenever possible, top-notch judges from, from parts of the world whose piping we respect would be an asset. And... Right away, that brings up the question of money. And when I present my proposal in a moment or two, I'm going to base it on zero dollars. I'm going to try to build a framework for piping, for professional piping, which starts out with zero dollars. Um, because money is tight. It's hard to get support. Um, but here's one aspect of the answer to that question, Patrick, and that is, Top-notch players are brought over for workshops. They're brought over for schools, recitals, coaching other groups. And so the idea hopefully might be to piggyback on that. If someone's coming over for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, line up some work for them to do through the week in the way of teaching and then have them on hand to judge a Saturday contest. And it's my hope that a Saturday contest would mean from 10 in the morning you go in at 10, you go out at 2, and you're on your way home. And furthermore, I'm hoping that it'll be local. So that, that only rarely would anyone have to think about an airplane ticket and a hotel. But I'm trying to sneak into what I want to talk about later. I hope that's a little bit of a response, Yeah, I Patrick. think that's good. Um, let's see. Do you have suggestions for this new format or venue? So you're going to talk about that in a second. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely, that's who has that guest viewer, guest too. Viewer Thank too. you for asking that question, because that's, I'm really keen on that. And so we'll get a minute to talk. All right. And Mary, Mary's question. Yes. Do either one of you think that having the USPBA, whoop, having the USPBA actually run the contests like the, like the PPBSO or BC Pipers, instead of just sanctioning them, uh, would that help solve the problem? Also, since we're such a big organization, is it even possible? So she's asking if... I would very much like to respond to that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that it would actually create more problems to do that. And here's why. Go, I want to go back, Mary, to my analogy about the RSPBA and the CPA. They're specialists. RSPBA is a band specialist organization. CPA is a solo specialist organization. Neither would one try to run the other's events. And the same is true here with the USPBA. The USPBA has made a valiant effort from its early beginnings to the present time to run top-level solo contests. So happens that in the opinion of many of the top players, it's the US Piping Foundation that's hit the nail on the head and it's Winter Storm that has hit the nail on the head and it is the Easter meet in British Columbia. And one could say the Livingston, uh, these are the kinds of events that we're needing to have. And none of them, to, well, Livingston has some PPBSO involvement, it does. But basic, yeah, it does have some involvement. But 
and you could argue that the Easter event in British Columbia is the is the BC Pipers. But the nature of how they're run is in accordance with the highest level events. And it's I can also say from my experience in British Columbia, I've been doing a fair bit of judging out there, that even their summer games are very beautifully organized as far as the piping events go. So they they seem to be able to be in harmony. Are you talking about BC Pipers? Yeah. Yeah, but they also they run the games though. The association yeah, runs true. those. That's true. So and that's what Mary's asking is, uh, you know, uh, if you run it for the games, you know, does that help? And your answer is probably not not necessarily. Right. I, I think where I'm going to hopefully go in a couple minutes is to describe a situation where we don't have sheepdog trials and we're not tossing the caber. We're just going to play bagpipes. And it's just going to be the professionals with maybe one amateur event each time we meet. That's no caber toss? I, I know that it's going to be missed sorely by Andrew and others. I love to watch the caber toss and throwing the hammer. And the Bonniest Knees con contest has always been a big hit the with kilted my mile. I'm I have, sorry? I have never won the Kilted Mile, though. Well, these are all super <laughs> things, and they have their place. It's just that with a $0 budget, we won't be able to afford to have the sheepdogs. Okay. So I'm hoping just for I could piping. Take, I could take one for the team here, I think. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, I hope that's some kind of an answer, Mary. That looks like it does it for the questions. Uh, Rick mentions the Glen, uh, the Glen Fiddick is going to be broadcasted uh, over the Internet this year uh, on October 12th, which is cool. I see John McGrath responding about how stressful the day can be when you've got to be – Put on many different hats within a few hours. It's it's pretty stressful. All right. So anyway, back to my question, which yes. I consider to be really important. Okay. Uh, <laughs> very humbly. Uh, so uh, yeah. So why, when, and why should I get my pipes out and play? All right. Like how do I uh, how do I justify it? You know, with everything else going on. As a preamble to the answer to that question, I asked Ursa Beckford. This past spring, or no, this summer rather, I said, Ursa, in your last year in Amateur 1, how many times did you compete? He said, 22. Then I said, now in your first year as a professional, how many times have you competed? He said, zero. That's quite a dramatic change. It is. Uh, so one might ask the question, well, why? For Ursa to get to any kind of a contest is 8 to 12 hours in the car or bus average. Yeah. Or he's got to buy an airplane ticket. He might have to stay in a hotel. And that kind of limits the number of these things that he can do. He chose to do what Ben McClamrock did, to put his eggs in the Scottish basket. He saved up his money. He bought a ticket to Scotland. He went round the games in Scotland. In fact, he's still over there. And that's where he jumped into the deep end. And he did that. He ended up third in the gold medal at Braemar with guys like uh, Gordon Walker playing against him. He came ahead of Gordon Walker and those guys. And Derek was second. And the next week, Derek won the silver medal, Derek Minchley mm -hmm. at Inverness. And uh, Niall Matheson was first. So that's where he got what he needed. So my question is, how can we begin to provide something comparable? And my first thinking is, 
just cutting to the chase, Andrew, based Feel on free. these interviews, <laughs> that I think it has to begin on a comparatively local basis. If we want to upgrade the environment for professionals, part of how they could be motivated, and you asked that question a moment ago, is to make some contests closer to where they live, number one. And why? Because that could likely eliminate plane fares. It could likely eliminate hotel bills. It would probably promote pipers and drum, eventually drummers, I hope, traveling with their peers, traveling with the guys and men and women with whom they compete. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I believe, from my own direct experience, that would enrich and deepen our community. So we would actually have a community of top level players who know one another well, enjoy one another's company, like to travel together, and like to compete against one another. Mm -hmm. So number one, local. Second point, I love the concept of in at 10, out at two. You get there, and you're probably playing at 10.30 as the earliest, and you're done by 1.30, and the results, and either people get in the car and head back home that day, or they go out for lunch together type of thing. So local, in at 10, out of two, now the judging thing. This is gonna be tough because To be able to put together a panel of judges that is largely respected by the competitors means that we have to have pretty seasoned people that are capable of rendering pretty enlightened results, which are preceded by pretty enlightened criticisms. So now all of a sudden the panel narrows down because Relatively few people in the USPBA panel have walked the walk. That doesn't mean they aren't wonderful people. That doesn't mean they don't do their very best to be excellent judges. But to get credibility and respect from the competitors, it does really mean a lot when someone's walked the walk. When they have actually played at Oban Inverness or the Glenfiddich, they've actually played in a grade one band. That makes a difference. If they haven't done that, there's a credi credibility gap. And I'm not saying it's insurmountable, but that is a problem. And I, I think what you're, but what you're saying is, what I think one of the most important things you've said is, uh, credibility has nothing to do with integrity or uh, personality. That's true. Uh, and I agree with you. I, I think the people that we have on our panel are some of the best people I know. Anywhere. Oh, yeah. There's, integrity um, is there, for sure. Integrity and, and uh, you know, quality of characters, that's oh, yes. not the issue. The that's issue true. is credibility. Yep. Uh, what, what um, and, and I struggle with this as a professional player, too. And, and it has nothing to do with the personalities. It's how how credible is the person I'm playing for to come up with the correct result? Right. And whether I could be right or wrong, you know, Eric Olette and I, we compete against each other all the time yeah. and we give each other a lot of crap because uh, he's a really excellent player. Uh, but at the same time, I don't like losing to that guy. <laughs> Good uh, for you. you know what I mean? And I'm sure he feels the same way, but sometimes you play, I play against Eric Olette and the person sitting on the bench is someone who I don't necessarily uh, consider credible enough 
to to be able to distinguish because he and I are both uh, playing again. I could be wrong, but in my opinion, he and I are both playing at a really high level. And so when I lose in a situation like that, it makes it frustrating. And then it's like, well, why uh, why should I bother? I mean, why don't I? Yeah. Maybe I'll just go tune up my students today, right, and right. and I won't worry about you know uh, I won't you know because then because then band practice comes up next yeah. day, and the kids run in his mouth, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? I think you know what I mean. I know exactly. We've all been there. We've all been there. I love that. Um, meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, if John Wilson's sitting on the bench and uh, he gives it to Eric Olette over me, which I stress is probably not going to happen. <laughs> right? But uh, um, <laughs> uh, for the record, for those who don't know me, I'm, I'm joking for the most part. <laughs> but... Uh, what I'm saying is, uh, you know, when a credible judge judges a contest and inevitably gives me the prize, um, see, that's fine. I like that. <laughs> well, you know, you could always handle a situation like that, Andrew, the way one household piper did back in the early 1900s when he played at Inverness and uh, uh, tele sent a telegram to his employer after playing in the, in the clasp. And, he's, and the telegram said, won the clasp, but they gave me second. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You know, that's one way yes. to deal with it. Indeed. Yes. But um, I, I think it's always going to be a problem at the high levels, though, isn't it? Well, I there's mean, a beautiful quote from Will Nichols in the Will Nichols article. Let's find this quote. It, it'd be great if it, we could spot it. And I, I, but what's, it's uh, about playing against his friends. And how he feels about it. And I got the same response, which will come out later in an article, an interview with Andrew Lee. It'll come out with an interview from John Lee. And it'll come out in an interview with Alistair Lee. Somewhere in the Will Nichols, there's, it's kind of hard to just... You can, why don't you just paraphrase? I'll paraphrase it. He said, we go to the games together. He said a couple things. He said, we know when the contests will be years before they happen. We mark our calendars because we know they'll be on certain Saturdays. And he said, to, in effect, we know pretty much we're in it to can and out at two. And he said, a lot of us, we look forward to playing against our friends. And of course we want to win. And of course we want to come ahead of them. But when one of our friends wins and comes ahead of us, we're glad for them. And the, the same with the Lee kids, the cousins and brothers. They, they would make statements like, and this is a preview of a coming article, but they would make statements like, we have to play against each other. I have to play against my brother and my cousin. And if I can come ahead of them, I'm really very pleased with myself. But if they are successful, I'm happy too, because they're my brothers and my cousin. You know, but I think I would interject though. <laughs> Do you think the quality of the uh, and, and again, I have to be careful how I phrase this. But do you think um, do you think the the uh, credentials of the people judging them um, allows that uh, to be a healthier environment? For yes, them? yes, I do. And they all said that. They all said that in you different know, like, ways. It's very difficult to question uh, a Hal Senek, you know, uh, or you know, or an so Andrew much, Wright. You could have a different point of view than Hal Senek or Andrew Wright or whatever, right? Um, but uh, I think the credential, the credentials there are so strong that um, you know, even if you might disagree. But again, it does. You know, a perfect example would be 
you know, a perfect example would be, um, I mean, I won't name names, but I remember I played in the professional grade in BC Pipers. I've, I, I don't think I ever beat Alan Bevan, ever. Nor did I really feel like I should have beaten him. Uh, but I know that he was in situations Crap, I just dropped the name that I didn't want to drop. So I'm talking about Alan. I know he, Alan was sometimes in situations where he didn't win, and um, and uh, he came in second. And, you know, maybe he would grumble a little, but I think at the end of the day was able to be uh, happy and okay with that result regardless. You know what I mean? And I, and I think it's uh, – there's definitely a strong spirit of that there. Yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, and I, think, I think there's a strong spirit of that here too. In most cases, I just feel like um, at the absolute highest levels, um, you know, in the USPBA, um, you know, when when you're playing, I, I don't necessarily. I feel like people opt out. I feel like I feel like the absolute highest level in the USPBA is very seldom seen. That's right. The, and uh, and I and I don't want to necessarily put myself there, but I, I can say that I've definitely opted out at times. Yep. What uh, you know? What's what's the point? Well. And uh, even though I know it's not in the spirit of piping, right? Like the spirit of piping suggests um, I've got a few P-Brocks going. I want to have a great performance. Let's just go play. Right. Uh, that's that's what I'd like to and, – and I know I should feel that way, but I don't always feel that way. Well, you're being honest and you're being representative of a lot of people. A lot of people feel like that. And I bring it up because I know a lot of people feel like that. That's right. Yeah. So my my the the thoughts that go through my mind is, and I think about this quite often, is what is it that we can do to m move that in a positive direction? And part of it is creating an environment. Right now, the environment does not exist. It's every man, woman, and child for yourself. That's it. You're on your own. Mm -hmm. Good luck. Yep. In fact, being promoted to the professional grade is equivalent to saying, thank you very much for what you've done for us. Goodbye. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. playing. Thanks for being an amateur all those years, and goodbye, and well, good I luck. Almost, it's almost kind good of like night that. and, and good then, luck. But then meanwhile, three years later, you get the phone call asking you to take the judge's exam. Right, exactly. You all know, right. like for me, and that's, that's a frustration for me, too. It's, um, you know, and, and these pe people are good players. But they don't play that much, and then, then now you're like I guess I'm I, I and, and the, the, as you know the judging thing is a frustration of mine for sure, as most people know. <laughs> I've made this pretty clear, but uh, it's weird because and then uh, and so we the professionals are sent off to pasture, uh, and but then they're called up a few years later and suddenly these people are are uh, the the top picks right. to become judges and um, in some cases uh, they're good picks. But sometimes they're not, and, and not because they're not good, but because the experience isn't there, right. playing at high levels. Right. And then, uh, and then uh, you know, the first year you're a judge, no one asks you to judge the professional contests, you know, because you're not an experienced judge yet. But sure enough, by the time year two comes around, um, you know, by the time year two comes around and you're, you can't find a couple judges on the day that you want, suddenly, uh, suddenly four years after turning professional, with very little professional experience, you're now an experienced judge. Yep. And again, uh, it's nothing against the people at all. It's just the system there. That's right. There's a fundamental breakdown there. That's right. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, and, then, and then meanwhile, uh, 
now you're an experienced judge and someone who's struggling with whether or not you should compete. Right. That's right. That's what happened to me when I was very young. There was such a shortage of judges that I started judging when I was very young and it took a real big bite out of my competitive career. In retrospect, I lament that because I should have been going hammer and tong week in, week out when I was younger. I went at it the best I could given the circumstances. Um, this program ends at one. Yeah, we've got approximately seven minutes. All right, I want to cut to the chase. Uh-oh, he's cutting to the chase. Cutting to the chase. And so all these issues that have been raised, credibility of the judge, um, inspiration, passion, commitment to playing on the professional level. Um, I raise also the need for locality, local, local, because of the expense of everything being too long distance, too much is too long distance. Also, uh, a simulation of the conditions that one might find at Oban Inverness and the Glenfiddich in the London competition. That's after all what these people are shooting for. Part of the motivational component is to inspire people to consider qualifying to play at Oban Inverness, eventually the Glenfiddich at London, to be on an upper level. So these, to me, are some of the elements that are on the table. This is my early thought on how to make this happen. We can't blame the fact that people opt out because what's behind the opting out is a weak environment. So I that's my belief. I think we have to start working on the environment so that people will want to opt in. And my proposal is to synchronize with the indoor contests that Oren Moore is now offering because you've got between two and three. I'm not sure what that's going to be yet. There's two for sure, and um, uh, we're discussing the third one this weekend. Yeah. All right. Well, to stay out clear of the Oren Moore dates, a group of us have committed to do one on the 26th of January, again in Albany. I would prefer that some of these were not in Albany, that they were further out of Albany, but we're going to have a professional contest on the 26th of January at the Celtic Hall in Albany. But I'll talk more about locale in a minute. My idea is to build stuff in the Northeast to begin with. And to make these competitions so that you don't need to get an airplane, you don't need to get a hotel room. You can jump in a car with your friends, be there at 10, be out at 2. As far as the panel, we're working on the idea of senior judges, not A and B judges, because some people are uncomfortable with that designation, senior judges, meaning which we're starting very small right now, but we're trying to get a few people together who we feel have had the necessary experience to have credibility. Now, when I say we, that's another thing that I see in the future. I see a group of professional pipers determining how this is all going to shake out. Amen. I think that's that's yep. what you're what you're saying is incredible, and I can't you know uh, I think it's a brilliant idea. I thought of this before as well. I think that any any professional piper that wants in is in. It's not an exclusive 
yeah. operation. And they voice their wishes, their demands, and their, and we try to accommodate those. The only hitch is we're starting with zero dollars. So they can't say, we want you to fly Judge X from Scotland in for every contest. We're going to start with zero dollars. But you can you can have those people agree on on uh, judges that they that they like to play for. Right. And exactly. you can also have them. I th and you could do it in a non-offensive way. You could yes. also have people just say, uh, "Is there anyone that you'd like not to play for?" Yep. Um, and and there would probably be a few names that come up. They don't need to be released. That's right. Um, it could all be done with respect, and uh, I, I think it's a great idea. It kind of happens a little bit anyway, yes. sometimes. Yes, it right? does. Sometimes, and I know in Oren Moore, at the Oren Moore Indoors, sure, we definitely do that. Um, uh, you know, it'll be different this year, but in the past years, Eric McNeil and I have decided, uh, you know, just sort of said, okay, well, who are the, we have guys in Oren Moore, which sort of by default we respect as players. But then as far as the people that we invite, you know, it's always, all right, let's invite someone that we respect and, you know, let's avoid certain people maybe. Uh, maybe not, but just we, we're sensitive to that. Um, but I think it could happen in a more official way. Well, when you think of um, Le Glenn Fittich, they invite some players to come and play. Mm -hmm. Is that meant to be offensive to the people who are not invited? No. Mm -hmm. They just select a few to come and play. Right, exactly. Why can't the judging panel be built in that manner? There's so much more I want to say about it, but I'll just try to finish up this way. My hope is that if we were to use Albany, because Albany has been an active location in the Northeast, a lot of things have been going on. I think on. it's one of the pockets I was referring to before, um, you know, with what you've been doing, what Maureen has been doing, um, you know, the dojo is working to do things. Um, and then and then meanwhile, there are, there are probably 10 professional players within half an hour at this spot. Right, right. And I, I think that the future is to draw a diameter out from Albany that would be probably a two-hour travel and make a circle, which would mean four hours from one edge of the circle to the other. And to start locating some of these off-season events on the circumference of that circle. So that, yes, there would be a few events in Albany, absolutely. But for those in Maine, it would cut two hours off their trip. For those in Hartford, it would be 45 minutes to an hour to get to that point of the circle. Springfield would be on the circle. If we talk about Utica, well, they'd have to go a little further. If we talk about Syracuse and Rome, yeah, they'd have to go a little further to get to the far edge of that circle. But on the other hand, there'd be another edge of the circle two hours closer to them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's how we can build a community based on Albany as the center, but radiate out from that and get some events on the circle outside. And while we're on this podcast, we're looking for people and organizations that would be willing to host a professional contest. Right now, we don't have one up north in October. <clears throat> we don't have one up north in November. We don't have one up north in December. The Oren Moore's putting one on in January. Uh, we don't have one yet. Uh, Oren Moore's putting one on February. Yeah, we have January, February, and we're going to add, I'm hoping, uh, and again, my board, the board's going to kill me, but I'm hoping to add one in early April as well. Good. And and so... I think. Well, I don't know. I can... Well, I we can address it more later, but the thing is, March is empty. Of course, St. Patrick's... There's parades. a good event. There's a good event in March, though, the Back Bay. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 
That's correct. So that it's would a be bit far from us, but it's a good event. I all know the, all the organizers need to have a little conference call and talk to one another because my hope, and this may sound very grandiose to you guys, but my hope is there will be a professional piping circuit uh, in the off season, a little bit, and this is real grandiose, a little bit like the professional golf circuit, except that it would be in the Northeast. Now, this is an idea that you've had before, Andrew. Yeah. Just trying to build on this idea and that in the long term, I do believe sponsorship will come if we put on good events. And when the sponsorship comes, I've all had already had people saying, well, I'll come up with a ticket for Oban. Uh, I'll come up with the air ticket. Not the first year. It might take a year or two before this starts to become a routine. Mm -hmm. So that the aggregate winner of the circuit gets their flight paid to get to Oban. Uh, I think all of you listening know why I'm saying Oban and Burness. At the moment, these are held up as the highest level events, really, that we have. Um, and that's a whole nother discussion for another day. But yeah. briefly, that that's what the target has been in BC. The people interviewed say that, you know, these contests we play are getting us ready for Oban Inverness. And uh, of course, they go to the local games when they're able to. But there's a blackout period, which involves the world championships. It involves Oban and Inverness. Yeah. And, and that's when that's when they're across playing in those high-level events. I think, you know, and the other thing, too, is you're not excluding people outside of the Northeast, right? It's just oh. you and I, we're from the Northeast. I'm and, so glad you mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, like, so, like meanwhile, so if you're down in Washington, D.C., like I know Mary's down in that area, All right. they need to do their thing. That's right? correct. They need to start their own circuit thank, as well. Thank you for that segue. Because there are tons of players that are great that would might be excluded from this because it's not local, but uh, we're saying... Uh, I think what you're saying, and I agree with, is, yeah, other areas should do their own totally. thing. Totally. Sure. Uh, the idea I'm trying to put forward is build one environment and get it working. And when other p regions see that, I'm hoping they'll say, you know what, if they can do that in the Northeast, we can do that in the Washington, D.C., Philadelphia area. And other ones will say, well, if they can do it in Washington, D.C., Philadelphia area, then we can do it in Charlotte. And if they do it, then the people in Houston will say, you know, we've got a lot of stuff happening here. We can do it in Houston. The problem with trying to do these big, big stretched out East Coast things is it involves air tickets and hotel bills. And that immediately excludes a lot of students. There are a lot of professionals who are college students, for example, or high, some may even be high school students. They just don't have the money. If it was in their own region, then they could participate. So that's another reason why a lot of people suddenly disappear. They don't have enough money to do the, this this expensive travel thing. It's one thing to save up all year for, for a ticket to open. It's something else to deplete your funds with the flight to the U.S. piping, the flight to Kansas City, the flight to the B.C. indoor, and if you're invited for the Livingston, the, the flight up to uh, Hamilton, Etc. Etc. My point being, trying to concentrate our resources in our own area, get a working model, and then hopefully interest people in other regions to do the same. Yep. Great. Well, Donald, let's wrap it up there. But that's phenomenal. Thanks for. I know you're, uh, uh, you know, busy. So thanks for stopping by. Enjoyed it. And thanks uh, for having me yeah, on. Yeah. Thanks for doing this article. Uh, this is. Uh, it's in the voice. 
Voice Magazine. Uh, if you go to euspba.org, you can subscribe to The Voice. I just typed that in there. Beautiful. Did we um, miss so, any uh, big questions? I th I'm pretty sure you can get The Voice from anywhere in the world if you subscribe, so um, check that out. I see Kurt's comment, the areas should cooperate, work together so they don't conflict. I totally agree with that. Uh, and I see Mary's been thinking about along those lines. I think you represent the thoughts of many people, Mary. There are a lot of people are thinking like that. What's that desert thing? Well, you know, you can you can still I work with some people in Calgary and some people in Manitoba. And they get things going on. And it doesn't have to be them. it doesn't have to be professional. No, it could be amateur. It, it's just a, a couple of meets in the off season to keep people's uh, excitement up for working on their material. Thanks everyone for being here and thank you, Andrew, very much Thanks, for Donald, the invite. Yeah. I enjoyed good. the session. Uh, I think we'll just sign off there because we're out of time, but uh, uh, we'll be on next week. We'll see you later.